Yes, Lord Jesus, it is our prayer that our time together this evening would be all about you. That as we come to your word now, by your spirit, you might fix our hearts on you. It is our prayer, too, that our lives might be all about you. You are the king who has given his all for us. And so, Lord, we pray that these gifts that we have given now, that our very lives might be given back to you for your service, for your glory that your name might be honoured in all the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. It happened before I was born. But the tale has gone down in Miller family history. My sister was two years old and was in her pushchair overlooking Whitby Harbour in North Yorkshire. She was on holiday with my parents. In her hand was her most precious possession. Barbar, the cuddly sheep. As she looked over the harbour wall, a curious urge came over her. Lifting her teddy up, she launched him. Out of the pushchair, over the wall, into the ocean below. I want him back, she cried almost as the sheep left her hand. And in a moment, my dad knew he had a decision to make. But of course, there was really never any question Baba was sinking. So Dad stripped to his pants. My mum shouted, no, it's too dangerous. It was all very dramatic. But Dad had spotted a ladder. He clambered down and jumped in. By the time he made it back to dry land, a small crowd had gathered to welcome him back with a cheer. Baba was safe and my sister was happy. To prove it, here's a photo of them together about 18 months later. Uh, you'll notice that by this time she'd also acquired a younger brother, um, but that's another story for another time. For now, I want us simply to reflect on my dad's actions that day. It is amazing, isn't it, what some people will do for those they love. And we're in the middle this evening of a, of a sermon series where we're considering what, what Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, has done for us. And in turn, how we are called to live our lives for him. How we will live for the King who gave his all for us. And what we'll see this evening is, is that we're, we're not primarily to be concerned with what we do, but rather with why. What is our motivation? What is our reason for giving ourselves, for giving our lives to the service of this king? 
So let's turn to our passage and and read it through one more time. And as we do, we will encounter two disciples of Christ, each with their own motivation for responding to him as they do. Luke 10, starting at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's a pretty mundane episode, isn't it? Very ordinary, very domestic, nothing of particular note. Jesus stops at a friend's house for dinner, and and as that friend prepares the meal, she becomes irritated by her sister who's not pulling her weight. But then comes Jesus' response to Martha's irritation. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And in a moment, what what looks like a a very ordinary, if slightly awkward scene, turns into something, well, something a bit more puzzling, something a bit deeper. Jesus has a habit of doing that. Time and time again in the gospel narratives, something Jesus says causes us to rethink, to, to reassess, causes us to see the world, his world, differently. You see, I think this account leaves us with with two big questions. Just what is it exactly that Martha's got wrong here? And on the flip side, just what is it exactly that Mary has chosen that is better? And it's my prayer this evening as we look at this passage together, as we consider those questions, that we would leave here captivated afresh by the beauty of Christ. That we would be renewed in our desire to live lives of service for him, motivated by love. So let's begin with Martha. And I think Martha in this narrative comes across as a a conscientious, hardworking, committed woman. There's no question as as Jesus arrives in the village that we see her offering wonderful hospitality to the Lord and those traveling with him. It's quite possible that this is the first time that, that she's met Jesus and yet she opens her home to him and busies herself with caring for the travelers. You can imagine her, can't you, buzzing around the house, preparing food, sweeping the guest bedroom, making sure they had enough for breakfast the next morning. Perhaps she'd heard of the rabbi. He was gaining quite a following. And and now here he is in her village, in her house. 
And maybe as we've begun this series, as, as John has spoken this morning about how we might be involved in all that God is doing here at Cornerstone, and maybe actually Martha is exactly the picture you have of Christian service. Active and involved, dynamic and vigorous, working tirelessly from one task to the next, all in service of our great King, Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, then you'll have heard us mention this book by Simon Gillibo. It's a challenging and, and inspiring call to live lives of sacrifice. And if you've read it, then, then you'll know that it calls us to a wholehearted life of, of commitment and discipleship. And maybe as you consider that, the, the picture that you have is of someone like Martha, busying herself with the tasks that must, she must do in order to honor Jesus Christ. But I want us this evening to, to hear the call to give ourselves in the context of Jesus' self-giving love for us. It is absolutely vital that we hear this as a call to serve not just any king, but this king, the king who gave his all for us. As Gillibo says, obedient sacrifice comes out of worship to God. God does not require unwilling helpers. Joyfulness in service to God is like oil on a bicycle chain. Without it, we become weary and slow. Again, God does not require unwilling helpers. If we want to model obedience, if we want to model grace... It's critical that in our service to God, we get the root motivation right. You see, there could have been all sorts of reasons for Martha's service that day. Maybe she wanted to, to win the traveling rabbi over. Maybe she wanted to impress the neighbors. Maybe she wanted to prove herself, to, to show herself worthy of hosting this great man. Our passage itself reveals that the issue is not what Martha does, but rather why she does it. First, Luke, our narrator, tells us that she was distracted by all that she busied herself with. And then Jesus himself reveals more of Martha's heart. Martha, Martha, he says, you are worried and upset about many things. You see, whatever the root motivation in, in Martha's heart, it is consuming her in worry and concern. Her activity is not just energetic, it's frantic. Her service is, is not just diligent, it's fearful and anxious. Why? Well, John Hindley, in his excellent book, Serving Without Sinking, invites us to think of it like this. What does Jesus need? He needs Martha to make all the preparations, doesn't he? If Martha doesn't work hard, things will fall apart, won't they? Martha is the rock. 
The Lord Jesus is just a guy sitting in her front room. No, says Jesus. He doesn't need anything from Martha. And she only needs one thing. And she's missing out on it. You see, most concerning of all is the fact that Martha's preoccupation, her her fretfulness is distracting her. It's distracting her from what she really needs. And what she really needs is Jesus. What she really needs is, is relationship with him. That is where Mary chose well. You see, Mary, we're told, sat at Jesus' feet. While her sister was a, was a picture of frenetic activity, Mary sat. While her sister was anxious and distracted by all that must be done, Mary listened. But, you know, we'd be mistaken if we think that this passage is about choosing a a quiet, contemplative way of life over a life of activity and action. Theologian Tom Wright points out that, that sitting at someone's feet doesn't mean, as it might sound to us, a devoted, dog like, adoring posture as though the teacher were a rock star or a sports idol. To sit at someone's feet meant quite simply to be their student. You know, the same phrase was was used of Paul before he was a Christian, when he was still Saul of Tarsus. He, we're told in, in Acts 22, sat at the feet of the rabbi Gamaliel. And if you know anything about the life of Saul of Tarsus, you'll know that he wasn't a passive layabout. Sure, he he spent time listening and and learning from Gamaliel. But that spurred him into action. It fired him up. It it drove him to to set out to wipe out Christianity. And he set about that task with, with zealous fervor. Until Jesus stopped him in his tracks. But the point is this. For Mary to sit at Jesus' feet, for that to be the better choice, is not a call to a life of of quiet, secluded contemplation. This is not Jesus calling us all to become monks or nuns. No, the call here is to invest in relationship to engage in in truly listening to Jesus, spending time with him, getting to know him, resting in his presence, sitting at his feet. John Hindley again. To follow Jesus is not about serving him. It is not about doing anything for him. It is about sitting at his feet and listening to him, the one who has done all we need. It is about being a Mary, not a Martha. Jesus doesn't want servants. He wants friends. 
Jesus did not come to help us learn how to be worthy servants. He came to die because we are not worthy servants. Friends, do you hear that call this evening? Do you feel the release that it gives to each and every Martha? You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Sit at my feet, Jesus says. Be with me. Listen to me. Stop your your frantic and frenetic serving. Sit and listen. That is better. Hold on a minute. Is that really what we're saying here? Is that really what this passage is about? Surely we, surely we are called to service, aren't we? I mean, there are plenty of Bible passages that, that do speak about us giving ourselves to the work that Christ has for us to do. We're to take up our cross, to be slaves of righteousness, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Doesn't this fly in the face of all of that? I mean, we've even printed a leaflet to tell you about all the ways you can get involved here at Cornerstone. Well, (laughs) friends, let me level with you. In one sense, I would much rather stand here this evening and tell you that Martha chose better. Let me assure you, as a a church leader, there is something really attractive about having a congregation full of Marthas. I mean, just imagine what we'd be able to get done. The rotors would would be full to overflowing each week. There'd be seven or eight people behind the PA desk. There'd be three guitarists for each service. There'd be people out flyering the neighborhood, inviting people to church, and and there'd be a whole army waiting here to put the extra chairs out when they came. And then, you know, at the end of the service, well, well, there'd be no one to serve tea and coffee to because you'd all be behind the servery holding a teapot. But friends, this is where we need to really listen to Jesus in this passage. Because as attractive as that might sound to me as a church leader, I really have to believe Jesus when he calls us to something different. Because the reality is, a church full of Marthas would be a tragedy, an absolute tragedy. Because it would be a church full of fearful and anxious people. 
motivated by worry and by that, that unshakable, nagging feeling that there is just so much that needs to be done. Always striving, always straining, always aware of that, that endless to-do list. Never resting, never refreshing, never rejoicing. And it wouldn't take long for bitterness to set in, for self-righteous comparison to be the order of the day. It didn't take long for Martha. You know, we might be able to, to sustain it for a few months, maybe even for a few years, but eventually we would end up burnt out, fed up, and worn down. And I want to be clear here. It's not even that Jesus says we need a church with some Marthas and, and some Marys. Some to do all the work and, and some to remind us of why we do it. No. What we need, what we all need, is a relationship with Jesus. We all need to be Mary, not Martha. And will that lead to laziness, to inactivity, to an ineffective and an unconcerned church? Oh no. Oh no. It will lead, friends, to a vibrant and, and joyful and captivated church. A church full of people who love Jesus. Full of people who marvel at this King who gave his all for us. Full of people who revel in, in knowing that king. Not as servant, but as friend. Full of, of people who love him and who know him as their bridegroom, the one who loves them. Full of people who are secure and certain in their status as sons and daughters in the family of God. Not because of their service, but because of his. And what an active and, and passionate and, and motivated church that would be. Being friends... The bride and sons means we are not compelled to serve or obliged to serve. But it's that radical new identity that means that we are motivated to serve. It's as we realize who we are through Jesus' service of us that we understand that we don't have to serve But it's also as we realize who we are that we find ourselves wanting to serve. You see, I think it's worth thinking just for a moment about what happened after this episode in Luke's gospel. What happened after Jesus left? Do we really think that Mary just went about daydreaming? floating uselessly from one reverie to another, 
permanently lost in a trance of blissful contemplation. I doubt it. This is someone who has sat at the feet of the Son of God. Someone who has listened to the Prince of Peace. Someone who has learned from the wonderful Counselor. Someone who has met with the King of Kings. Someone who had come to love the King who gave his all for us. Of course she served him. How could she not? Not because she had to, but because she could. Because it brought her untold joy to live for him. You know, I'm not sure that you could have persuaded my dad to climb into the cold waters of Whitby Harbour. I don't know that any amount of, of cajoling or reasoning could have convinced him that it was a good idea. Maybe, maybe if, if you'd heaped enough guilt on him, really worn him down, well then, then maybe you could get him to go in. But not with any joy. But his love for his daughter, the relationship that they have, the, the life that they enjoy together, the bond that exists between them, well, that led him gladly to suffer the indignity, the cold, the exertion, so that he might serve her, so that he might please her. And do you know what? I reckon he'd do it again. And again. And again. Each time delighting to be serving one whom he loved. So friends, if you are here this evening and you are weary, weary of serving, burdened by being a Christian, worried and, and anxious about all you have to do, about all the, the worthy and worthwhile things that you spend yourself on each and every day. Then let me invite you to come to Jesus. To sit at his feet. To listen to him in his word. To enjoy his presence. To rekindle your love for him. Look to the king you serve and see a king who has already given his all for us. He does not need you to serve him. He wants you to love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel once again this evening that you would give us your only Son, Jesus Christ, and that he would give his all for us. Oh Lord, we thank you for the privilege 
and the joy that we have to know him, to love him, to be loved by him. Our Lord, teach us to choose that which is better, to sit at his feet. Amen.